good morning. I'd like to welcome you all to the dwelling place. If you haven't been with us before, we'd like for you to make yourself at home and enjoy the family atmosphere. If you don't have a church home and you're looking for one, we would be very glad for you to join us. We would love to have you and make you a part of the family. Um, everybody, I would like to thank and thank God most of all today for allowing our pastor to be back in the house. You know, it's been a long, long time running, a lot of adversity. We got one more hill to climb, and then we'll be back in business, hopefully. Praying, praying for God's favor and hand upon that. Um, also, we'd like to thank everybody that participated and supported in the butt sale. We had a great turnout. We sold what we set out to sell. We accomplished the goal that we, we had, and we met it. So thank everybody that, that helped out with that. Also, we were, we're not going to be having prayer meeting tonight. We have a lot of families that are going to be on vacation um, tomorrow for the rest of the week. We've got 4th of July coming up, a lot of traveling going on. So everybody enjoy time with your family tomorrow. And also, happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the house, not only physical fathers but spiritual fathers. Uh, we, we, we're most grateful, though, when we're here to worship our Heavenly Father. That's what we're here for today. Nothing else than to give Him praise, honor, and glory. Um, before we move on this morning, um, we do have Kids Crusade coming up in July. July, I believe, 25th through 28th, if I'm not mistaken. So if you have kids in the neighborhood and they want to come out and learn about God, we want to get them in this house and, and let them experience what we're trying to do is grow. We, we, we need to touch these children and pray for these children because the enemy's after them. He's running tooth and nail trying to catch them. And we have to do our best to keep them mindful and that they know that, that he's out there like a roaring lion seeking to devour them. But we have to protect and pray for this next generation. Um, we've fought some of our battles. We still have battles to fight. And our biggest battle right now is keeping our children protected, covered, and lifted up in prayer because he's the only one that can keep his hand upon them. And we need to turn them to him. <clears throat> this week as I was just kind of thinking about, you know, life and everything in general, Ben came to me yesterday and said, hey, we're going to be out of town. Can you open up? I said, Bo's going to be preaching. I said, yeah, not a problem. I said, I'll take care of it because I had something on my heart. Um, and, and I read it, and I read it in the New King James, but then I read it in the Passion, so it gave me a little bit more, I guess, revelation of it and, and thinking about the whole plan together. I mean, when you compare two translations, you put them together, and you can bring more in. Looking at the Hebrew and the Greek, you find out more of what, what Jesus was trying to tell us and what, what the Word is about as it builds us up. And here... I'm looking at Psalms 34, verses 6 and 7. And in the New King James, it says, This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him. Out of all his troubles, the angels of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers him. I'm going to go to the, the uh, Passion now and read it out of there. But King David wrote this before he was king. He was running from Saul and all of Saul's henchmen. At the time, he was he's running for his life. He's scared to death. The only one that can protect him is God. He, one man running from basically an army of henchmen, goombas, whatever you want to call them. They're out to kill him. He's, his head's on the rock. They, they want him dead because Saul knows he has somebody picked that he wants to bring in behind him to continue things the way he rolls. But God's already chosen David. He's already been given the birthright. He's already been sent to take over. And so as I read this in the Passion, it really, really hit me hard. If my uh, 
going to let me do what I need to do. And it says, when I had nothing, desperate and defeated, I cried out to the Lord and he heard me. Bring his miracle of deliverance. You got to remember, they're, they're chasing him. He's, he's, he's set to be dead. And we go into seven. It says, the angel of Yahweh stooped down to listen as he prayed. So think about that. As we're, we're going through fights and we're a child of the king, he's standing there. He's listening to us. He hears us if we're crying out to him. And today, you know, as we go into praise, I'm going to finish this off. He says, as I prayed, encircling me, empowering me, and showing me how to escape, he will do this for everyone who fears God. So this morning, as we cry out to him, our adversities in our lives, the challenges, the things that we have to go through, the day-to-day, you know, rigmarole, the problems that we see and face, when we cry out, we need to get in his midst. We need to allow him to adjust our stance, to, to place us in the right standing, the upright shoulders back, put on the full armor of God and be facing him because he is the only one that can protect us from those fiery darts. We, we so many times we, we, we say we give it to him, but then we go back and pick it up. We got to leave it with him is the way it gets defeated. So this morning as we go into worship, as, as Sister Rachel comes in and, and leads us in worship this morning, think about that. Cry out to him because he's the only one that can adjust the situations that are going on in your life. We've had a lot of situations the last few months, a lot of things that have happened, a lot of trials and tribulations. But most of all, as we praised him and we lifted him up, we saw him through it. He was able to empower us. He was the king. stand. We're going to go ahead and pray and open the service. And just just think about that. Have that in the mindset as we go into praise and worship. Because he's the one that can deliver us as we cry out. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you this morning. We lift you up high and mighty, Lord. Lord, we see you on that cross at Calvary, delivering us from everything that we're not worthy. Lord, we just thank you today for sending your angels to encamp around us. Lord, because we know you hear our cries. Lord, you ripped that veil for a reason so we would have access to the throne room that we didn't have to go to a man, that we need our sacrifices to come to you. Lord, we need to be obedient to you. We need to listen to your voice and to your cries, Lord. Lord, we just thank you this morning. We praise you, Lord, and we place you on high for the things that you have done. But most of all, we thank you for the things to come because as you send us through the trials, you don't send us to see us defeated. You send us to make us stronger and rise us up. Lord, we thank you today. We give you all glory and honor and praise for each and everything you're doing today. But Lord, if we cry on you and it falls, we we need to know that it's you that has complete control, that you that has our best interests in mind. Lord, we thank you this morning. We praise you. We give you all glory and honor. In Jesus Christ's precious and most holy name, amen. If you have tithes and offerings, we find it as a part of worship. Lord, bring bring them up and drop them in this bucket. We're not going to ask you to give, but Lord, whatever the Lord gives on your heart, please place it in.
He just wants to sing, wants to hear our own songs to Him. How much He means to us. Lots of people write songs, and sometimes it comes from their own hearts. But He wants to hear from your heart. I want you to take a minute and just... to you. He's a wonderful father and he loves us and he's done so much for us and he's doing so much for us and he's going to do more. But his love is just so amazing. Me 
get started, I don't want to speak some things very specifically today. Um, if y'all want to sit down and rest for a second. Devin and Rachel everybody else and I've been being very specific in, in my language in these days in Mexico uh, we just came out a couple days ago but I'm telling everybody that I have a relationship with and influence over that it, it, it's time to start speaking to the glory and that's what I've been telling everybody and I, and I, I told Brother Devin that I need you to start singing to the glory I tell him, I really don't know what that means. <laughs> so you have to let God define what that is for you. But it, it's it's time that we we start speaking to what we believe God wants to do. We need to start prophesying it in our prayers and in our preaching, in our worship, in our language, one with another. We need to start speaking to the glory of God. And Jesus is the manifested glory of God among men. And, and so... That's something that I everywhere I turn, it's just on me because I believe that we're at the doorstep of, of visitation. I believe it's it's now. And so, uh, sing, sing that song, Rachel. Y'all just hear it. Isaiah 4, verse 5. I read this verse a few days ago, and it just, it's overwhelming. It says, Then Yahweh will create over all of Mount Zion and over every, every gathering. Then Yahweh will create over all of Mount Zion and over every gathering. 
a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. And all this manifestation of dazzling glory will spread over them like a wedding canopy. And he will be a tabernacle as a shade from the scorching heat of the day and a safe shelter to protect them, protect them from the storm. I, I just, I believe that that, that is... That is the word of God, and it's for us that over every gathering place, his intention is for us to be covered with the glory of God. Um, I'm going to read this morning in Isaiah 64, actually. I've been speaking to all of the families in Mexico that, that I was with here recently out of this chapter. And I just, I felt that this is exactly what I was supposed to speak today. And uh, I'm looking forward to being here over the next coming weeks with y'all, praying and worshiping God. I told Brother David that I, I really believe that this is a special time, not because I'm going to be here. It's just a special time. I believe it's a marked time. And so I'm excited. I'm getting an opportunity to be a part of it. Because I want to experience God in a way that I've never experienced him and I want to experience him with y'all and everybody else that God has us walking with and I absolutely believe it's now um, I, I told brother David we were talking and you know I'm sorry but I have been marked for the glory and the presence of God I'm not interested in doing church I want to experience him in a way that is overrides every, every sense, physical sense that I have. And I don't want to do anything else. And I want to do that with other people who want to know him. And I, in Isaiah 64, I'm going to be reading out of the, the Passion most of the time. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 1. This is an amazing, an amazing scenario right here because Isaiah is at the very end of his time. He's 64 chapters in. He, he has lived out a life prophesying the glory of the Lord to his nation, his people, and has not been very received. And the last six chapters of Isaiah, I can't remember the exact number. I didn't think about it until just now, but I think it says that 21 times he talks about the glory. He says the word glory in the last uh, six chapters of Isaiah. So he was at the end of his, his, his walk with the Lord and he was consumed about one thing, the glory. Seeing God, the glory that, that shrouds him, the presence that, 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 that comes with him. And that's all he spoke to. And you read these last six chapters, he, he is speaking about the glory even when he's dealing with the sin of the nation. It's all about getting to the glory and dealing with whatever is keeping that from happening. And so in, in verse 1, I, I'm, I'm not going to be very long today because I want to be specific. And there's so much to say. But I'm going to read it. In verse 1 it says, God, if only you would tear open the heavenly realm and come down, how the mountains would tremble in your awesome presence. In, in, the, in the footnotes of the Passion, Dr. Simmons says that that word presence actually 
can be translated before your faces, plural, faces. And that's, a, that's pretty interesting, especially when we, when we get going here in a minute. God, if only you would tear open the heavenly realm and come down, how the mountains would tremble in your awesome presence or before your faces. And it's important that we understand that I, I think that's a really good uh, place to have that, that word before your faces because God has many faces. He has many sides. He, he, we're going to spend eternity knowing him. And just when we think we've got ourselves locked in on who he is, he's going to shift a little bit, and we're going to get to see a whole different side of him that we had not experienced or had a chance to come close to in intimacy, and he's inviting us into another depth of knowing him. And that's forever. It, that, 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 that is going to be forever. I've been walking with Jesus for 24 years, some of y'all a lot longer than that. You cannot tell me if you've walked in fellowship with Jesus that he is the same Jesus to you today than the day that you started. He can't be. Because you have had to increase in your knowing of him. And that is, it's, it's one of the mysteries of, of walking with God that there's just a continual fellowship and he continuously is exposing himself to you in ways that you didn't even understand that, it, that was there. And that's one of the delights of walking with him. And, and so right here, Isaiah is saying, if you would tear open the heavenly realm and come down, how the mountains would tremble in your awesome presence. In the same way that fire sets kindling to blaze and causes water to boil, let the fire of your presence come down. Reveal to your enemies your mighty name and cause the nations to tremble before you. He, he starts off this prayer to God, this prophecy, which to me, it's a prayer, it's a prophecy, it's one and the same. He, he, he starts off by reminding God that he knows, that Isaiah, I know who you are and the difference you make when you show up. He starts off reminding the Lord, I have not forgot that all I need to change my world is for you to show up. And he starts off at this place so that God, so he can make Father understand, I still value you for who you are and for what you do when you inject yourself into my world. And Isaiah was in a very difficult time in, in his people and in his country right now. And, and it, was, it was cloaked in darkness. Hell was abounding on all sides. The people didn't want nothing to do with God, didn't want to hear his words that he was prophesying about God and the glory. And Isaiah just turned his eyes away from the people and from the darkness that was covering his, his, his world. And he just lifted his eyes back up. He said, all we need is for you to come. Because if you come down, mountains tremble in your presence. If you come down, if you step out of heaven into our world again, it has a cause and effect that cannot be denied. It's just like when fire is put to water. It can only do one thing, and that's boil. And do you know what happens when water begins to boil? It actually begins to change. It no longer is liquid. It evaporates into the air. He forces physical things to change when he shows up. 
And Isaiah refuses to turn loose of that truth. He refuses to submit to the darkness that's all around him and trying to make him bow down and submit to their way. He says, I ain't doing it. You will come and you will physically change the world I'm standing in. I just need you to open the heavens and step down one more time. You know, Jesus, he's in us. If you love him, you're, you're born again. He, he is one with you and you're one with him and he dwells in you. He is with you to the ends of the earth. That is all true. But there is a different aspect at play here that Isaiah is touching and it is the very glory and the presence of the living God coming down in a tangible way. And I'm telling you, that's what we need. And that's what has been offered to us. It says right here that in verse 3, when you did amazing, man, listen to how Isaiah is approaching Father. When you did amazing wonders, we didn't expect. You came down and mountains shuddered in your presence. He's speaking to his own experiences. He's actually acknowledging that God, when you come your glory is so wonderful. Your presence is so amazing. Your, your loving kindness towards us is so overwhelming. You do things we don't even know to ask for. You do things we had no expectation to ever see or realize in our life. That's, that is an amazing thing when we begin to understand that when we invite him to come and we, we position ourselves to receive him and we open the doors of our heart and we, we move every hindrance away and we let him know you matter more to us than anything else. He comes, but when he comes, he doesn't just do what we want. He does things we didn't even have the courage or the faith or the imagination to even think to put before him in prayer. God, come on. I want God to come and do things I don't even know to ask for. It's so beyond my ability to comprehend. And that's what he, he, he has these mysteries. He has these delights. He has these treasures stored up that he has reserved for us. And he wants to do it for us. He wants us to be there with our mouths shut in awe of what he is doing. Because we just said we want you to come. It says right here in verse 4, these amazing things had never been heard of before. You did things never dreamed of. No one perceived your greatness. No one is, no eye has ever seen a God like you who intervenes for those who wait and long for you. Come on. Isaiah, he's, he's, he's speaking to Father right now. And he, he's acknowledging his goodness. I, I, I don't know why, but this thought came to me when I was driving up here. Or we were, I was sitting in the parking lot finishing up a few of these notes. And, and this thought came to me. You know, that song, Good, Good Father, it became just so amazingly popular, right? It, it had a lot of oil on it. It still does. You know why? Because it pleases him. Because he's been acknowledged for who he really is when we sing that. It, it delights his heart when his sons and daughters actually acknowledge 
who he really is, the truth of who he is. He is a good, good father. There is so much oil and pleasure on that song when it's sung by the children of God because it's actually acknowledging the true character of who he is, and that's good. And it's good to, to us. And Isaiah right here, he, he's speaking to the father, saying, I know you intervene for those who love and wait and trust in you. That pleases God when, when he is acknowledged that way in our hearts. Y'all, it, it, it's just, we need to understand that we, uh, we, we got to begin to speak to the glory. We got to begin to declare the truth of our father for who he is to him, not, not to each other. We need to start telling him who he is. We need to start declaring to him what's going to happen if you come. You're going to make the water bowl. You will make the mountains that are impeding our progress, that are trying to, to hem us in so we can't go forward. You will make them shudder and bow down. We don't need to declare it to each other. We need to declare it to him until faith rises up in our hearts. And the more we declare, it actually diminishes and it begins to erase every doubt, every hesitation, every lack of confidence we have. The more you say it, the more you say it, the more you declare it to him, it's like the word of God becomes active in you as you speak it. And you actually start walking in the faith of what's coming out of your mouth. And he is delighted because of what you're saying to him. Come on, y'all. Jesus, he wants to intervene for us. Y'all realize your lives and all your situations and everything you're facing and all these mountains that, that Jesus would later tell his people, if you will speak to the mountain, the mountain will throw itself into the sea. Every one of these situations that are trying to keep you from moving forward in him and, and, and going and walking in the, in the works that he has planned for you to do and the relationship that he, he, he desires for you to experience. He, he actually is waiting to intervene on our behalf. He wants us to understand. He desires to intervene. In verse 5, those who delight in doing what is right, come on, y'all. What does he do? He, you go out to meet them with kindness. Golly. Those who delight in doing what is right, you go out to meet them. That is such an amazing thing and is completely opposite of everything that religion speaks. Right here, Isaiah he knew the heart of Father, and he's declaring it to God. You go out to meet them. Do you understand? We have a God who wants to get up off his throne and come to meet us. And when we delight in doing what is right, I don't mean doing all the rules. I don't mean crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's. When we delight in doing what pleases him, that's right. When we're consumed with the desire to do only that that's going to put a smile on his face. That's doing right. I, I, I believe in the law and the rules, and, and I'm not against any of that, and I'm not trying to dismiss that. But you understand, the law was written for people who didn't want to do right. 
It's not written for the people who have a heart bent towards God and a desire to please him. The law is for the, the lawbreakers. That's, Paul says that. When you have a heart to do right, you, you're so sensitive to anything that will erase the smile from his face or, or, or will cause you to feel that separation. And you're driven not because you're afraid of hell. You're driven because you want to always be in a, in a degree of intimacy with him that, that is an embrace. When he finds people like that, he comes out to meet you. It ain't, it ain't us going out to find him. Oh, my gosh, that is so backwards. Yes, we do seek the Lord, but if we just are lighting and wanting to please him, he's already in the way to us. He's one step away. He's just waiting for us to turn and, and walk towards him, and then he overruns us. It says in verse 6, we have all become contaminated with sin because all of a sudden now, he, he, he began, and let me finish five. He says, those who delight in doing what is right, you go out to meet them with kindness. They remember you and cherish your ways. You showed anger when we sinned again and again, yet we can be saved. We've all become contaminated with sin, and you see our self-righteousness as nothing better than a menstrual rag. We are all like fallen leaves, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. No one calls on your name or presses in to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us. You have let us be ruined by our sins. Verse 7, no one calls on your name or presses in to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us. Our... our history together is, is you know, with Brother David and, and, and the core of y'all, it's been pretty awesome from, from when we started back down the road here. And, you know, it was founded on one thing, on, on the glory and the presence of God. And I got a chance with my family to be a part of something that was already already being poured out and I just got to step into it and and that's where me and David's relationship really started and this Brenda's I mean it was I mean we knew each other but that's where our relationship started we had had a little bit of interaction up until that point but that right there did something in all of our relationships that was there at that time and it was just an amazing thing to, to experience the glory of God that was being poured out. Yesterday, I was uh, I went took a, I almost got invited to a, a school up in somewhere and for football and to get a tour of the school and all that. It was it was really cool. It was awesome. We had a good time. And, and the presentation that they gave when they sat everybody down, wanted to give some history on the school. It was really awesome, but it was also really sad because the only really impressive thing they had to say about their school athletically was 125 years ago. And it was an awesome history. It, it was not to be not valued. But that was, that, was, that was the climax. 
And, and as awesome as that history was, and as important it is for the for 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 the foundation of of that, and and where it has gotten to today, that that's sad when there's no hope for anything greater than that, and there's not. And, and that that can't be us. I don't want to keep talking about something that we experienced. How many years it was ago? It is important. It's what put us in the path together. It's what set our faces towards something that we didn't really know really existed at that level, I think, before then. And it's significant, and it's valuable, and it should be honored, and it should be, it should be something that's, a, what do they call them stones they put in the river? A memorial. But it can't be the height of what we know as God from here going forward. That's called failure. That's called unacceptable. Because he allows us to experience that, and it was amazing. But do you know what that was? That was an invitation to more. It was an invitation to believe there's greater things even still. It was a door being opened to us to show us there's a whole different reality that we've been taught. Not that experience this for a few years and go sit down and think about that for the rest of your life. I don't want to live like that. I want that to be a shadow of what we experience going forward. And you know who wants that more than I do? Father. He wants it more than I do. That's a shadow compared to what he has for us. I absolutely believe that we're on the door of visitation when I turned my face back to Alabama and I started helping y'all and, 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 and other people, I told them, I'm coming here for one reason. God promised me he was going to pour his spirit out. I got lots of churches. I don't need another church to visit. And I don't say that. I just do. I don't need somewhere else to go preach. I came because God told me he was going to pour his glory out. And I was going to get a chance, get an opportunity to be a part of that. And I, I refuse to settle for anything less. I refuse for life to make me submit to anything else. I will not be forced to stay in this place and appease people or the world or my flesh or anything else. I have been invited to glory, and I'm going to have glory. It, it says right here, that no one calls on your name or presses in to lay hold of you. That was a great, that was a, that was a, that was a, that was a sin. That, that might have been the greatest sin that was being exposed in Israel by the prophecies of, uh, of Isaiah. Is that no one calls on your name or presses in to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us. And he had hidden his face from them because of their sin. But because he had taken a step back from them, instead of pressing in to find him, they just submitted to the absence of presence. We can't do that. Are we experiencing what we experienced back then? No. But are we going to submit to that and say, okay, well, I guess that's just it? No, we're not. We are going to press in. We are going to lay hold of Father because he has made himself available to be grabbed hold of. I was reading that again this morning, and, and out of nowhere, the, the, the Holy Ghost reminded me of, of my pastor in Tuscaloosa, Pat Schatzlein. 
And I remembered one time he, he was preaching and he, he used to, he, he loves to throw in Jewish oral tradition and he, he loves studying that. And I, I like that too. But I remember he, he was talking one time and he shared this short, this story about a man named Nashon. He's in the Bible. But the Jewish oral tradition teaches that, you know, when, in Exodus, when Moses was at the Red Sea and, and the people were whining and crying, why did you lead us out? Were there not enough graves in Egypt for us to die in? Now you've done brought us out to the desert. Now we're going to die. Pharaoh's army's coming behind us. And, and God spoke to Moses to go and, you know, raise your hands and, and split the sea. It's going to happen. What, you know, and I, I, I don't know how accurate this is. And I, it's just what the Jews teach themselves. And they actually say that Nishan, who was of the tribe of, of Judah, they say that Moses raised his arms with his staff like God told him to do and nothing happened. But the Jewish oral tradition teaches that Nishan stood there for a minute and realized it wasn't happening and nobody was moving and everybody was paralyzed with fear and everybody had given up hope. And it says that Nishan from the tribe of Judah, he ran and jumped into the water. With Moses standing there with his arms open, being obedient to what God told him to do and what he had declared because God had told him to declare it to the people, Moses was there. Nothing's happening. The people weren't moving. And Nishan said, I'd rather die in faith than stand here and live in, in fear. And, and the Jews actually teach, he jumped in. He didn't just jump in through his knees or his waist or even up to his neck. It said that he went up to the water in his nose. And when he got to the place where it was at his nose, where he could not breathe anymore, the Jews teach that the Red Sea opened. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but that sure is cool. That <laughs> sure does preach. And, and, and I, like I said, I don't know if it's true or not. But it puts forth some pretty interesting things. You know, we can be believing for God to do something. I can stand up here and tell you. Brother David can stand up here and preach it. He can, he can declare it over you. He can lift his hands up and say, God said it's going to part. But until somebody starts believing and is willing to jump in and bury themselves underneath what God told him he was going to split, nothing's going to happen. Somebody has got to grab hold of faith and jump because it's being declared that it's going to part. We always want somebody else to lead us through. But who's going to be Nashon? Who's going to jump and say, I'd rather drown to death and trust God than stand here and live in doubt? Come on, y'all. Moses had already showed them the glory Plagues, deliverance. They come out with riches. Not a lame one among them. God is manifesting and manifesting and manifesting. But when they get to the next impossible thing, their hearts murmur and complain and shudder in fear. But not Nashon. <laughs> he threw that off. He said, I ain't living like y'all. You can stay here if you want. God said it is going to open. I'm, I'm out of here. Do you know that's what we're waiting on now? I want to be Nishan. I don't want to wait on somebody else to jump. I want to be the one who's leading the way. 
I want to be the one who has the courage to call on his name and to press in to lay hold of him because he said there was glory available for us. He said there were greater works. He said his kingdom can come on earth just like it is in heaven. He said, he said, he said, he said. I refuse to submit to the memory as the greatest thing I'm ever going to experience. I'm going to use that as a springboard to have faith to jump one more time. And that's what God wants us to do here in this family. We're going to jump. There are some people who aren't going to. There are some people who, who are just going to decide, I'm sticking with the memory. And I love you and I bless you, but we're not staying with you there. Because Pharaoh is on the heels. Deliverance is moving forward. It says right here, in verse 8, yet still Yahweh, you are our father. Come on. See, he, 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 Isaiah doesn't ignore the fact that the reason why they, they've lost the presence of God is, is sin in one way or another. Whether it's just complacency, whether it's just all-out rebellion to God, whether it's by just being overwhelmed by the things of life and all the things that come at us and you just... You just being okay with coming to church. Whatever that sin is, some of it's gross sin, some of it is, is, is the things I just explained. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Isaiah acknowledges it, but then he also comes right back with boldness and he says, yet still, Yahweh, you're our father. Come on. You're still our father. I knew you, you pulled back and you were angry because of the things we've done or didn't do. But you know what? You're still my daddy. And you're still good. And I still come to you not because my righteousness is beautiful before you because it's not. I come to you because your righteousness poured out on me is awesome. And allows you to see me as a son. We are like clay and you are our potter. Each one of us is the creative, artistic work of your hands. Come on. Every one of us are the creative, artistic work of God. We are the expression of him on the earth. We are the light of the world. That's what Jesus said. We are the light of the world. Nine, Yahweh, don't be angry with us. Don't remember our sins again forever. Please look at us. We are your people. Father, look at us because we're your people. We're your sons and your daughters. It says in verse 10, your sacred sites are abandoned like a desert. Zion is a wasteland. Jerusalem sits in ruins. Our holy temple, our source of pride, where our ancestors sang your praises, has been consumed by fire. And all that we held dear has been destroyed. All that we held dear has been destroyed. All our pleasant things are laid to waste. You know, this is where we begin to get into some of the biggest problems that we're dealing with. 
here and anywhere that there's been an experience of the glory of in the presence and, and, and the outpouring of God, not just here, anywhere, is that we actually think that these things that we experienced before that have become the source of our pride is the only doorway for God to come again. And it's just simply not true. The temple served its purpose for a while and it'll actually serve its purpose again in, in, a, different, in a different way. It, it was, the, it was the, the, the tabernacle of the glory of God. It was the presence of God on earth for men. But the minute Jesus stepped onto the planet, that changed. But the people were determined that that's the only place you're going to experience God. And Jesus is not the one who carries the glory now. He's not the expressed glory of the Lord. And what happens is that, that, allows, that allows hell to put us in a box. And we actually think that our box is, is right. And it's not anymore. It was right for a minute. But God changed. And he didn't change. He just shifted. He said, I want you to come to me this way and see this side of my face. I, I, when, when we were down the road there and we had that amazing night that I got to be a part of and the next day I, I preached there. I don't know if any of y'all remember what I preached. Do you remember, David? No, there you go. Just say no. Just don't even try to say anything. I do. I do remember. And because it was the word of God for that moment and that place. And I actually talked about Samuel going to anoint David. And Samuel, a mighty man of God, started hearing the voice of Father as a kid when the other people who should have been the experienced one hearing the voice of God had grown so dull and so blind because of giving place to sin and other people's sin and, and valuing human relationships more than the relationship and intimacy with Father. God just took his voice from them and gave it to a little boy. <laughs> gave it to a child. And he stewarded that his whole life. And, and the Bible says that his words never fell to the ground. Not like these people prophesying today wanting to come back and tell, tell you how sorry they are because their predictions didn't work out. His words didn't fall to the ground. And, and so he has this amazing relationship with Father. But when it comes time for him to anoint the next king and God tells him to go, he, 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 he goes to the house of Jesse, he anoints him, or he, he, he calls for Jesse to bring all his sons. Jesse brings seven sons, leaves David out in the field. And, and Samuel, being the amazing man of God that he was, and, and having the experience of already anointing the first king of Israel, he thought he had it figured out because of the experience that he previously had had in this task. And so he went to the eldest son, just like he did with Saul. And it wasn't him. And he went down all around. And, and, you know, the, the end of the story is he gets David out of the field and then he finally recognizes him. But it, it just shows you how somebody can walk in intimacy with God, have had experience with God, and, and let experience be 
how things should be the next time when God's absolutely not doing the same thing. He ain't doing it the same way. Saul was the firstborn and the only born of his dad. He was head and shoulders above everybody else, the Bible says. But that's not who he chose the next time. He chose the most despised one, probably the smallest one in the house of Jesse. And that's, that's who he decided he was using. And it was completely different. The same thing was happening. A king was being anointed. A deliverer was being given. And, and, and he relied on his experience because he had it now instead of trusting God. You know, when Saul was anointed, the Bible says that God brought Saul to Samuel. Samuel didn't go look for him. God brought him to him and said, that's him. When David was going to be anointed, he sent him to go find him, and he expected him to be wholly dependent upon him. But he was also teaching him and teaching us that just because it happened one way the first time, that's probably exactly how it won't happen the next time. And if we want to be the one who anoints what's happening or be a part of what's happening, we got to be willing to submit to God showing us exactly what he wants and not being predetermined in who it's going to be and how it's going to look. And that's where, that's where one of the greatest hindrances we have in going back into the presence of God when we've already experienced the presence of God in one of these amazing ways. You know, people get worried and they get fearful and they don't want to be deceived and they don't want strange fire and they don't, they want, you know, I, I'm not worried about any of that. I'm worried about not having the presence of God in my life. I am worried about having right doctrine. I'm worried about not having Jesus and his presence in my life. One of my favorite verses in, John, in, in the Bible is in John 7 where Jesus actually says, if you actually have a heart to do what God wants, you're going to know if the doctrine's from God or man. If your heart just wants to do what he wants. There's just something called the Holy Ghost that's actually going to show you or make you understand, this is of me, that ain't of me. And you don't have to be a learned person and you don't have to know every doctrine in, in the Bible. The Pharisees had perfect doctrine. And they were blind to the presence of God when he was manifested among them. And they actually deny it. Come on, y'all. I'm not worried about right doctrine. And I, I, doctrine's important. It's just not the most important thing to me. He is. My sheep will know my voice. When you hunger and you're thirsting for him and you're asking him for bread, is he going to give you a scorpion? Is he going to give you a snake? He, he actually commands us to not walk in that kind of fear. If you're wanting something besides just Jesus, yeah, you're probably going to get, if you refuse the, the truth and the love of the truth, yes, you're going to get deceived. But it's not because you was looking for the wrong thing. It's because you had decided in your heart you wanted something besides him. And as much as he woos you and tries to bring you into a right desire, you just make a decision. I don't want that. And he's going to be like, all right, then. So one of the things we, we can't allow to determine or dictate 
what God's going to do here is trying to make it look just like it did last time. Or even trying to make it come like it did last time. It's got to come out of a desire for him. And he will drive us into the path that he wants us to take to get there. You know, if we pray 20 hours together a week, that might not be exactly how he does it this time. Will prayer be a part? Always, because that's intimacy and devotion to him. But it might not look like that. It might not be with the same songs. One of the greatest problems we have in our work in Mexico is that we had such a visitation for years of glory. I mean glory. I mean whole churches having open-eyed visions into heaven and, and having to pull kids out of the bamboo rafters because they were all seeing into the glory, into the heaven. They're all seeing the same thing, and they're trying to crawl up into the rafters because they're sure that, that they're that close. I mean, things were, when I, me and Rachel first went there, we would walk into a hut, dirt floors, Indians, no emotion, and all of a sudden you're sitting there waiting to start church like they like to wait, and all of a sudden the breath of God just comes and everybody's on the floor wailing. Nobody preaching, no instruments in tune, Devin. Wasn't a song selection. It's just God visiting his people. And that went on for years. We couldn't even do, we couldn't, in a lot of our places, the, the visitation, the glory was so strong, you couldn't even sing. Because if you sang before you preached, there was no preaching. And so all the worship got moved to after the preaching because the word was important. This is years. This is not a day or a good week-long revival service. This was years where hundreds of people would come to services from all over the mountains hiking, if they knew you were going to be in this village that was normally a 10-person little church, they would walk from hours around just to be there because nobody knew what was going to happen and nobody wanted to miss it. But that was years ago, and that, that, and that, that, is, that wave has rolled out, and, and we still have awesome stuff happening. There's still miracles, but it's not that. And one of the greatest hindrances we have right now is that we have some people that are determined if it doesn't look just like that and it's not with the same ten songs and we don't do it exactly like it was then when it happened, then we ain't letting it in. I'm telling you, it's a, it's a war in the Holy Ghost. Because they, in their mind, don't want anything false or anything deceptive coming in they've put up these walls and decided this is the only doorway you can come and this is the face of God that I saw this way so it can't be any other way and Isaiah is saying if your faces all I need is just one side of your face to manifest let it be a different side than the one I saw let me know you in a different degree and we, we got to make sure that we follow Saul or uh, uh, Samuel's example all the way to the end. We, he, he didn't get discouraged when he went through the seven sons and just stopped. He actually realized, okay, it's not happening like I thought. And he, he demanded Jesse give up the one son that Jesse wanted to hide. And we got to understand when God wants to do something different than we've ever experienced in a different way and be okay with it. Jesus says in, in, in Luke 19, 41, he says, Now as he drew near, Jesus saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this, 
and miss your day. The things that make for your peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, close you in on every side, and level you, and your children within you, or within you to the ground. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. They wanted to trust in the temple. The disciples would come to Jesus and would, and would tell him, look, look at the temple. Look how beautiful it is. Look at, look at how magnificently it's been made. Look at the place that has housed the glory of God for, for, for all of these generations. And he just looks at them un, unmoved. There's not going to be one stone left on that place. I am the glory of God. You're looking at that. That time has come and gone. Look at me. And he says right there, because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not know it. And, and, and we're so resistant to God when he wants to come and visit because we're just so dogmatic that it's, we've got the right way. This is the way it's supposed to look. This is the way it's supposed to sound. But you know what? I don't want to ever be that way. I want to sit down with a fresh slate with him. Even though I do have years of experience and different things now, I want to sit down with him and him be able to take me like a little kid by the hand and lead me on a new way I haven't been before because I know if my hand's in his hand, he is not leading me into the ditch. He is leading me into the glory, into his presence. And even though I got enemies all around and they're trying to build embankments all around me, all I need is for him to come with his presence. So many of us are struggling right now because of the different things that are around us and most of them are there because of our own decisions and our rebellion against God's word. And we're, we're surrounded now, but you know what? It's okay. He's still our father. And all you gotta do is lift your voice and say, if you'll come, I know that I haven't felt your presence. I know I'm in this mess because I turned from you and decided to go a different way. I know, I know, I know, but you're still my father. And if you step down out of heaven, every one of these demons will have to flee. Every one of these mountains will have to melt away. You'll take me by the hand and do things I don't even have the courage to ask for because I know I'm in this mess because I put myself in this mess. I, I know, I'm sure y'all are the same, but I have looked up a lot of times and seen mountains that I shoveled out by myself to make. And, and, and when you know you made them, you don't have a lot of courage to ask for things. No, just please let me not die here. I'm sorry I did this again. I'm sorry I put myself in this position. I'm sorry that I'm so stupid sometimes, God. And you don't have no courage to ask for anything beyond that. But you know what he wants to do? I'm going to do more than you even had the courage to ask me for. Just because you, you turned your face back towards me. I'm going to come out and meet you. And you're not going to just survive. You're not going to just get into the water up to your nose and tread. No, I'm going to make you walk across on dry land. And, and, and it just it, that blesses me because that's who he is. <laughs> and we, we got to... We gotta, we gotta make some decisions that whether we're standing here because we're not, you know, 
Brother Carl was talking a lot about what was in my heart today from those verses and and, I'm, and just talking with Brother David all the time. You know, one of the most amazing and terrifying verses and passages in the Bible is, is when, when Father says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> That's amazing, but it's also freaking scary. Because God, our Father, offers up Job, a righteous man. He offers him up right there on the altar. And, and you know, and and that's exactly what, what's been going on with y'all, David. I, I was listening to Damon Thompson preach last night up in Nerdville in Carolina, and he said something about a spiritual daughter that he has, and she's going, I don't know what he didn't elaborate, but he was just going through a really hard physical time, I think. I think he was talking physical and different tests, and, he's, and he was praying and really just going after God. And he said God took him to the verse where God tells Peter, Peter, Satan's asked for you. He's going to sift you. He's asked to sift you. But I'm going to be praying for you. And he just, Damon started talking about how that was where God took him because he was really going after and interceding and saying, God, no, 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 no. And he said, God took him there and showed him. He said, it's just time for a sifting. But it's okay, Peter. I'm going to be praying for you while you're getting sifted. And that's all that's happening. It's just a time of sifting. But even when we go through a time of sifting and we find ourselves in these situations that we didn't ask for, and it's not because of disobedience, it's just God saying, have you considered my servant? That's awesome. It doesn't feel awesome, Brenda, I know. It stinks. But it's... It's got to be an amazing thing to think that God looks at you and sees faith. That God actually has faith in you that no matter what hell throws at you, will not step back or bow down. There, there, there's no place in there where God is moved by our emotions welling up and swelling and bursting and overflowing. That doesn't matter to God. It's our decision to say, I don't care. I'd rather drown by jumping forward than standing right here and living in fear and doubt and unbelief in who you are and your word and your promises to me. If I'm going to die, it's going to be dying in obedience. And, 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 you know, I honestly believe that's what's going on. The last year, the things y'all have all been through, this family here, but y'all, you and Brenda both, I believe that's what it, I believe it's just a sifting. But I also believe it's because there's glory on the other side of this and we're stepping into it. And just the conversations that we were having before all of this went crazy. And the decisions that were being made, we're going after him. If I die, I'm going to die jumping in the river. huh? And then all hell breaks loose. The tax had already been going on all year. But there is glory on the other side of this. We're going to press in and lay hold of what God has declared to us and everything that has risen up against us and all of these mountains and all of these things, all these impeachments and these embattlements that hell has put in place to destroy and stop us. We're just going to stop and we're not going to fight and we're not going to take out a shovel and a pick and an axe and try to break our... We're not. We're just going to go like this. If you just step down, that stuff evaporates. It's like fire to water. And that's all I want. And that's all I need. And I won't settle for anything less. Oh, but it's because I did it. Well, okay. Maybe you did put yourself in the position you're in right now. 
but even so, you're still our father. <laughs> That's what's so awesome about him. He allows us to come to him after the, the, the most horrible failures and disobedience and rebellions. He allows us to stop and turn to him and say, even so, you're still my father. <laughs> Are you going to be mad at me forever, daddy? Come on. I got lots of kids and sometimes they make me bold. But it's impossible for me to stay mad at them. I just can't, I don't have it in me to say, I might get mad and explode for a minute, but after that, I can't stay mad at them because I love them, and my desire is for them. My gaze, my heart, my, my whole drive, everything about me is for them. So anger can't stay. It's an emotion that comes, but it has to leave. Because there's a greater desire in me than an emotion to be mad at somebody because they're not doing what I want in that moment. The greatest desire I have for them is for them to look at me and understand how much I love them. For them to allow me to embrace them. For them to allow me to do things for them they haven't even thought that I would do for them. Come on, there's nothing greater in my heart. And if me being evil, like the Bible says, have that kind of desire, for me, how much more does he have that desire for us? It doesn't matter why you're surrounded right now, whether it's God offering you up on the altar because he has such faith and admiration of your love for him, or it's because you've been rebellious. It doesn't matter. It's, it, it doesn't matter. The solution's the same. The solution's the same. Even so, you're still my father. If you just come, if you let me see a new side of your face that I didn't know existed, that's all I need. That, that, that's all I need. You'll make my enemies flee before me. You'll make every mountain melt. You will begin to manifest your glory and the glory will sit down on us again. And this time, we don't have to let somebody tell us we can't have it. So, I didn't come here to be a part of the same thing that was down the road and just change the name on the sign. The glory that was there in those ways was great, but that ain't what we're on. That's not what we're going to be, and that's not what we're trying to look like. That's not what we're trying to have the same image as. We want him to show us a new face because he has many faces. God, wherever you want it to look like, it just doesn't matter. I leave all of my experience and understanding right here. And I put all of my trust in you. And I'm asking you for the spirit of God. I'm asking you for your glory. I'm asking that you, Jesus, would come. And I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if we look like the biggest fools in the world because we're going to get somebody out of a field taking care of animals. That the whole world thinks a joke. It doesn't matter. It just does not matter. It matters when he comes. Everybody in here has been purposed for that. Every son and daughter of God has been purposed for that. Everybody that's ever been created has been purposed and created for his glory and his presence. We must decide that we will not settle for anything less than that. Well, what are we going to do? I don't know. We're going to love Jesus? 
We're going to acknowledge Father for who he really is. We're going to let him tell us who we are to him. And we're going to enjoy that. And we're going to feast on his love. And we're going to come into his presence with thanksgiving. We're just going to make it our delight to be with him. And let that be what dictates the steps of our life. I don't have a plan. And I don't have a formula. And I'm not trying to have one. I want to get lost in just loving him. Because if I do that, like I was talking with, with Devin before, David got, got brought before the king to sing. And the, and the very father, the very God that gave Saul the tormenting spirit, that spirit had to back up when David worshipped. Because David's love being expressed to father was so greater than the tormenting spirit that God had sent that the spirit had to submit to the love of God because God had to come. He did not want to be in Saul's presence anymore because Saul had hardened his heart and God gave him what he wanted. And even though that was the truth of that, David overwhelmed and erased all of those things because when he worshiped God, God couldn't resist him. So all I got to do is worship God. If we can set our face to do that, he's coming. And you know what? We can invite the most demon-filled people into this place, the most God-forsaken people that aren't if you want to say it that way, the people who have absolutely spit in God's face and done their own, we, we can bring them in. And you know what happens? We start worshiping and loving God, and all of a sudden the hell and the tormenting spirits they have on them because of their witchcraft and their rebellion, that backs up and they get clarity to see God as good. And all of a sudden they get a chance to make a different decision in the clarity of our worship because of the presence of God that comes to receive it. And that ain't just in church. That's in our work. That's in our homes. That's in our schools. That's in our streets. That's in our stores. It's, it's a presence that we carry. Where we're constantly in communion and in devotion with him. And it just lets the presence of God go with us everywhere we go. And it makes hell back up. And people who could not think straight and were lost in that cloud of darkness, all of a sudden rays of light break through just because we're standing there. And people can actually choose to serve God again because they see that he's not rejecting them to the degree they thought they were rejected. They haven't been completely abandoned. God just pulled back from them because they pulled back from him. But he's still right there. We're the light of the world. You know what's amazing is that, and I'm finishing right here. In number seven, I didn't, I was reading this this morning, but old Nashon, he comes back up. You know, the fellow that jumped into the Red Sea, you know, up to his nose. And look what happened back there. But number seven, you find Moses, he, he, he's actually being ordered by God to bring the sacrifices first time. And in the Jews believe it once again the old tradition, they 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 teach that Moses was embarrassed because he didn't know who was supposed to bring the first sacrifice. That's it. This is all theory, I guess, or hypothetical, or whatever you want to call it. But the Jews teach that Moses was embarrassed because he didn't know who was supposed to bring the first sacrifice. And it actually the Jews actually believe that the people told Moses, let it be Nashon. Because he sanctified the name of God by springing first into the Red Sea. He is worthy of bringing down the Shekinah. 
That's what the Jews have in their, their old traditions. That Nishan was picked by the people to be the one to give the first sacrifice to God. <laughs> because he sanctified the name of God. Why? How, how could he sanctify the name of God? Because he jumped in faith at the word of God. And so God says, I'll let you bring me something. Everybody else is going to have to wait. You know, sometimes it's, it's never easy being the first. It's never easy being the person to do something that you haven't ever seen done before. It's never easy being the person to actually jump in faith. Y'all all know it's never easy. But when we do, we give life to everybody else behind us when it's in faith. And God says, I can let you, I can let you bring the glory now because you're sanctifying my name. You're moving in faith to me. You're moving in obedience to me. You're moving in trust to me. You don't need an explanation. You don't need somebody to show you what it looks like. You just take my word and you sanctify it as holy and you just jump on it. I'm going to let you experience glory. And I, in all of my heart, this family has been purposed for glory. Not to be a better church than the one down the street. Not to be the best church in Clanton. God has purposed this family. He has purposed you, David and Brenda, for glory. He has. And we need to allow that same faith and trust that we had the first time to jump. We need to let that swell back up in our hearts. We need to begin to, like I told you in the beginning, we need to begin to declare to God who he is to us what he has done for us, what he will do for us. We don't need to tell each other. We need to begin to speak it to him because when we begin to speak it to him and it's his word coming back to him, that word doesn't return void. It begins to fill us full of faith. And God begins to smile on us. And strength begins to well up on us. And he allows us to give something to him that other people have to wait to give just because we're sanctifying his word and faith. Let's do that. I just, uh, that's it, I'm, I'm going to stop talking. Jesus, I just thank you. Father, I just thank you that your word is true. I, I know in the very depths of my being, God, we're at the day of visitation. That this family, this, this, this area, this state, this generation, this time, Father, it's a time that you've chosen to visit your people. You're looking for the ones, Father who are lifting their eyes to you in the midst of darkness, in the midst of being surrounded. You're looking, you're listening, you're, 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 you're in search of the ones who are decided they're going to press in and lay hold of you. Father, let that be us once again. God, let courage well up in our hearts that we can tell you you're still our Father, that we can boldly come before your throne, Father, with confidence because you're still our Father. Not because of our righteousness and having gotten everything right, but because you're still our Father. That is the greatest source of confidence to know that even though you're still our Father, I don't have to trust in my own righteousness. I trust in the fact that you're still my Father. God, let that just birth something new in us, a new strength, a new hunger, a new desire that we begin to separate ourselves from anything that hinders that that begins to, that anything that speaks against that, people that speak against that, relationships that speak against that, fear and doubting that speaks against, let us begin to separate ourselves from these things. 
I am not giving place to those things in my life. I will lift my face to the heavens. I will look to see one of your faces, a new side of you. I will trust that I ask you for the Holy Ghost and I will not receive death and misery in its place. You are good. And your desires and purposes and plans for us are good. It's peace and prosperity. It's life and life more abundantly. That is your desire for us, Father. And even when sifting comes for a season, you there, you're there interceding for us that our faith would not fail and that we'll be able to turn around and strengthen our brothers and our sisters with the testimony of the hand of God in our hand as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That even though we were in that place, you prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And then even though that we were sitting right there in the middle of death's valley, Father, we feasted on your goodness. We feasted on your mercy. Where? In the safety? No. In the middle of the valley of death, in the presence of our enemies, we will feast on the goodness of God. You will make God, you will make a river run through the desert. We trust you. We trust your word on our behalf. We refuse to accept anything else but that, Father. We press in and lay hold of you. We give you thanks for glory and promise. And we're the, the artistic, creative work of your hand. Your very expressed image on this planet, Father. You are wonderful, Jesus. You are wonderful, Jesus. You are wonderful. God, I want y'all to be blessed. I just thank y'all for being here today forward to being here Monday and seeking God with y'all Wednesday and these next coming weeks. Such an awesome day to be here. We didn't know it was going to be Father's Day when we set it all up, but it is. And, you know, it's just a blessing to be here and, and to think that those verses that God, I didn't even realize it until today, you know that part, but even so, you're still our Father. Come on. There's some good daddies in the house today. I, I got a chance to, to meet Brother David's dad today and just thank y'all. What a gift y'all have given us. Y'all have really given us a gift. And it's a blessing, and, and those things don't happen by accident. And just thank you, Mr. White. You've given us a gift. You've given the body of God a gift. Thank you for being a good daddy. Thank you. <laughs> You've given me such a good one. It matters, y'all. It matters that we strive to surrender ourselves to the image of God and be good daddies. I've listened to David tell me lots of stories about you, Mr. White, and the man of God that you are, and how that impacted him even though he was running the streets and just being dumb like I was. One of the greatest things I've ever heard my wife say about her daddy is when we were in Mexico and, and things were not going well and I was surrounded by people who were mean and bitter and other missionaries. It was just a bad time. And, and I, I remember coming home one day and I was not as, uh, what's the right word? I, I was not as uh, toned down then as I am now. I was a little bit more explosive and a lot more uh, raw in my language. And uh, didn't, have 
my emotions checked like I should. And I, I, I came home after one of those days where I'd been with these people who were just full of venom, and I was mad. I mean, I'd done left everything to go serve God in Mitchellville and got to the Mitchellville and found out, man, this is where all the devils are. And, uh, and I didn't know that ministry was like that or could be like that. It's not always like that. And I, and I was really mad, and I was, I was really angry, and I, and I was going off, and, and you know, Rachel, she, she, she let me talk for a few minutes, and then she just real sweetly, she said, you know, my daddy's been in ministry my whole life. She didn't say it aggressively. She didn't rebuke me. She was just like, I've never heard my daddy talk about another man of God ever in my life. I've never heard him come home and talk about a pastor. I've never heard him come home and talk in a way that was derogatory against somebody else preaching the gospel. And then she just kind of sweetly said that and walked off. You know, and I'm just taking these daggers out of my heart, you know. Uh, but it was one of the greatest compliments that a, a child could give their parent. And it was an instant, instant rebuke by the Holy Ghost through my wife. And, you know, we just, and I've, I've strived and, and tried to be that person for my sons and daughters. And, and it just matters that all of us as daddies that we strive to be that person. And, you know, we might not have been that person up to this point or we might have been failing in some of these ways. But you know what? It matters. It doesn't matter what our kids are doing right now. It matters that we set a plumb line for them that they will one day know where to turn and look to know what's right. Come on. They might not want to serve God right now, but they ought to know what serving God looks like because they look at our life. And when they decide, they should know what it should be. And I'm telling you, I, my daddy was that person for me. He preached to me for five years, and I hated every moment I cursed God. But the night Jesus walked in my room, when I got up off the floor, my first phone call was my daddy. And I said, I can't be here because I don't know anybody else who's saved but you. Can I come home? And the only safe place I knew to go was back home. After I'd been out of the house for years. It was because a plumb line had been set. It wasn't perfection, but there was a line set for me to look at, to know if I want to love Jesus, this is what it looks like. Come on. So daddies, y'all be blessed. and, and, and Y'all be blessed. And, and all of us be blessed. And God be blessed. And Jesus, he's still our father. Isn't that wonderful? No matter where you're at right now, he's still your father. And you can get up lift your face today and walk out them doors just saying, all right, I just need you to come now and help fix this. And he will. He'll make the water boil. He just wants an invitation. In Jesus' name, y'all be blessed. Love y'all. See y'all Monday night.